once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Barretos. This is episode 89. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Two months to go to the World Cup. How about that? We're getting close. We'll have some big news to report about World Cup coverage here on this podcast once everything firms up. So stick around for that. Thanks for all of those who have tuned in and the incredible numbers for folks that reach out and listen to some of the old episodes. Because this is pretty topical, right? Well, it's pretty time-specific. And to go back there and have these conversations blows me away. So I'm so appreciative. And, you know, we're trying to entertain. We're trying to have some fun. And we're trying to get you a little smarter with these great guests, including this week, where this is the international break, the final international break before the World Cup. Two games that all 32 teams that are participating in the World Cup squeeze the lemon out of so they can be as prepared. Dress rehearsal. That includes the United States. So with that in mind, we will welcome in ESPN reporter and uh, USMNT insider Jeff Carlisle, who's been working a couple decades there for ESPN. It does a wonderful job, has incredible access, great relationships. So we're going to talk about the September camp. We're going to talk about covering the men's national team as well, which has really pivoted the last couple years due to the fact they didn't qualify for the World Cup. So we will uh, we'll talk about that as well. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. That'll be in the business end just moments away. Stoppage time, a condensed stoppage time because we will cover the topics about the roster for September. But we will also take another second look at it there. We'll also talk about an amazing final weekend for Americans abroad before the September break, which is frustrating in a way because you feel like some people are hitting the groove, including Jordan Peefock, who is trending. My number one trending topic just goes to show who I, I, I follow, etc., on Twitter. But we're ready to go. Another episode of the Soccer OG begins. As I am recording this, the uh, the final services, the final goodbye for the British public for. The, Queen Elizabeth II. I watched some of the coverage. Pretty remarkable. It's just a throwback in time, no? About, you know, the passing on of the scepter and the crown jewels. and Very interesting. And we realize how far we've come. Uh, it's a humanity that they've developed these cultures. And, you know, the British, uh, for all their flaws, <laughs> for all the criticism we give them here for soccer, you know, it's the launching pad for for so much. And while they, the British Empire had a, a you know, a lot of things that they've done in their history that uh, are not very tasteful. What they, you know, they've righted their their flaws in many ways, and well, here we are. You know, I've lived I lived in the Commonwealth for a long time. Many of you know, uh, from age five to twelve, I lived in Australia, so I saw the impact. You know, Australia is still aligned. I mean, the Queen is or was there. You know, they're number one. You know, then the Prime Minister and. Australia was fine with that by and large. Didn't never happen like what happened in the United States, an isolated country that you figure would seek its own independence like the United States did, but didn't. But that's fine. Canada didn't. So it's uh, you just realize how powerful the Commonwealth is, and that's why you kind of soak this in when it's all happening. I also ask everybody if it's possible, you know, for as uh, I saw people waiting for hours, thirty hours, to see the Queen, you know, just. A moment, and I'm not—I'm not talking to anyone, but just a moment to remember someone you lost in your life and give them a few minutes, same way you didn't someone that you never met. But 
there it is. So we won't talk too much about it. It's a soccer OG. It's a big September week. We move forward. I did want to touch a little bit on the Todd Bowley comments because I didn't get a chance. It happened right after I published the last video. And I'll make it short and sweet. The new Chelsea owner in America who threw out a bunch of ideas kind of fell on his face when he suggested they ran a 4-4-3 lineup, which would be groundbreaking, by the way, if a team did that, you know. You'd win a lot more games. Of course, you can't play with 12 players. Maybe you forgot the goalkeeper. But that was odd, and uh, we... It's not unexpected, but I will say the reaction across the board for all the media... Um, I know CBS Sports, I comment on Twitter, Jamie Carragher and Terry Henry, and they just, it was like Todd Bowley abducted a child the way they reacted. It was this excessive reaction across the board. Is an all-star game a great idea? Probably not. Doesn't fit there. I'll say this. Done the right way. Make uh, those clubs in that league a lot of money. And everything they do is about that. Let's not pretend it isn't. That's why this is the top league. It's becoming the Super League. And American ideas may help them reach that status. So some folks, you know, it, it, we, it's, they talk out of both sides out of their mouth. The tradition, this, um, the special moments about being Manchester United fans. But then they don't turn away when they drop $100 million here, $120 million here, $70 million. Okay? So, you know, this money thing and what Todd Bowley brings in is a part of the blueprint of the next step for the Premier League. His ideas uh, make you roll your eyes, sure. But it doesn't require that reaction. It doesn't require a reaction like he did a, a perform a crime. And that's what I heard. And that's what we always hear. And that's why I'm a believer. we got to clap back to the way the portrayal of Americans in soccer is. Because it's always like this. It's always like this. And it's always going to be like that. So the best way to do it is eliminate your... What's the word I'm looking for? Eliminate how uh, reliant you are on on England for your soccer information, for your your soccer storytellers. It's the fact. That has to be limited so we don't get dwarfed when one of us speak out of turn or what happens with Jesse Marsh or why certain players have to jump through hoops. And you can tell me it's not happening, but I can assure you it is. So I thought it was a very interesting moment. I was so glad Todd Bowley said that because it helped me prove my point. Because the reaction, you could have said, it's not going to work in the Premier League. It's not. People aren't going to buy it, so that's that. But no, it was like, oh, you, these Americans are so arrogant. They come in here. And I go, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Same thing. Rinse and repeat. Another big story this week, unfortunately, that we have to talk about is you know, racism in the sport. And in the United States, we deal with a lot of racism. But, you know, I just remind people that you know, and you know, I've heard people go, "This is the most racist country in the world." It, it, you could argue it's the least racist, but racism remains everywhere. It's different tiers. It's bad here, and it still exists, but nothing compared to what you see, including at the uh, the Madrid derby, where uh, you know there was uh, this rivalry between Vinicius and the Atletico fans, and then these horrid. Uh, chance outside the stadium where they were saying Vinicius is a monkey, es un mono, and then people are. Up, and I don't want. I don't like to, you know, add fuel to the fire when you see those things because I wasn't there. Maybe the audio doesn't come through, and maybe they said something else. And I, I think I, they there was something about that at a game featuring Ukrainian uh, 
team and they were some audio picked up that they were saying this about it something derogatory but someone else proved that they were saying something else so i stay away from this because i don't want to uh you know call somebody racist uh that is not but that audio was bone chilling and it, it's just the fact there were so many atletico supporters and it's a reminder to countries like spain you know, racism is is so prevalent and it's uh diminished and they push away and while we work on it here, we've worked on it to a point where the U.S., where I think, you know, we still have work to be done, but we've got to be happy. We see how diversified we are. And I see it through sports because you don't see that diversification. When you see these teams, they are predominantly, they look the same way the national team looked 50 years ago, 80 years ago. The U.S. team in sports has uh, changed dramatically. We have a national team with so many different uh, races and cultures, a very predominantly black team, which we're very proud of because we helped push that to where we've gotten better. And other countries do a good job with that and other countries just ignore it. And some, and I'm not saying Spain is a racist country, but there's too many, you can't have that in 2022. You can't have a thousand fans, I don't know the exact number, saying Vinicius es un mono. I don't care if there's a different word for it. You don't say that. I don't care if there's some lost in translation point for the Spanish public that says, well, no, this is uh, somehow we refer to Brazilians. And then, you know, the, the media afterwards, and I just saw a, a Chiringuito talk about it. Now they just kind of gloss over it. That's a, Atletico has black players. Why is this happening? If you don't like Vinicius, you can go insult him, but don't use that word. In Major League Soccer, a game between Inter, Miami, and DC United, there was an episode with Taxi Funtas, who is Greek, uh, using the uh, the N-word at Damian Lowe, a black player for Inter-Miami. A couple of players from Inter-Miami claimed they heard it. The officiating crew came out and said, we did not hear that. Taxi Funtas has come out and says, I did not use the word I am being accused of. This one's a tricky one because we are going to... I'm not saying Taxi Funtas did not say that. And whether it's in the heat of the moment or he said it bluntly, if he said he didn't hear it and the referee said he didn't hear it, we gotta we gotta pump the brakes on this one. MLS has zero tolerance for this. Every league should. If if it's found out Taxi Funtas said that, he's I he's gone. Gone. You know, you you suspend him or you, shoot, you find a way to rescind his contract. There is no room for that. But we have a dilemma here. Some of the players said they kind of heard it. I, we have to know if they were crystal clear that DeAndre Yedlin was close and they want to really push that against. Phil Neville spoke about it like it was a dumb thing that it was said. I just, is I don't, we don't lump on because it's so serious that you can say that. So it's tricky. Whew. heavy stuff man but this is our sport and we have been burdened with this and we have to address these things when they come up short weekend in the Premier League it was Arsenal maybe seizing the moment I mean West Ham what's going on West Ham what's going on can't score can't score Son Heung-min in a huge rut comes off the bench for Tottenham Hotspur and scores a hat trick in the second half I think the rut's over I hope that was my favorite part 
of soccer viewing this weekend. And also, you know, MLS. Uh... I have one broadcast left for LAFC before the Apple TV deal really comes into on the horizon. So uh, it gets pretty emotional. We I might lose my the final game, which is LAFC Nashville. I hope not because uh, I want to really enjoy that moment and soak it all in because working for a club has been amazing. And I'll have something to say about this on the next Soccer OG about making those relationships and being part of the storytelling for a club and how special it's been in my career which has gone very long three decades of it that's why it's a soccer og that's why i can give you context for days we'll be back with the business and jeff carlisle we're talking the september camp we're talking about covering the u.s stick around in stoppage time as i will talk about the u.s men's team and what was a pretty good weekend for american players this end and it is a pleasure to welcome in a soccer reporter for espn also a usmnt insider guy who breaks a lot of news so uh, a very important follow this time of the year jeff carlisle jeff good day sir good to see you once again likewise max how are you good i miss like sitting down and having a chit chat on the road with you i'm sure we'll have an opportunity here with mls or the national team at some point um but certainly we had a, we went those days when I was at ESPN, we had some time to, uh, you know, chin wag about all things football, soccer. And uh, this is obviously a very exciting time. I know I was telling you off the air about covering this sport. What was it like for you uh, as we all discuss? And I know this is way water under the bridge, but as we prepare to get ready for a World Cup in a couple months, what was it like knowing not being able to cover the U.S. men's national team at a World Cup? And this is our lifeblood of what we do. What was it like for you? Four years ago, you mean? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I felt like a fish out of water. I mean, that was, I mean, every World Cup that I've covered has had its own challenges, um, whether it was the travel or some of the security concerns or, you know, this and that. And Russia was just tough because it, when you're covering one specific team, it, it kind of centers you, it kind of grounds you and you, it gives you a focus. And even though I was covering for the most part, a fairly compelling group there, the one with, with Croatia and Argentina, Nigeria and Iceland. Um, yeah. I just, I never felt like I got into any kind of a rhythm while I was there. And then the travel was, it was intense. I mean, it was, you know, you, you cover a game, you travel the next day and then you cover a game the next day. I mean, I, I was in six cities in 12 days. And so it was, um, and I was only there for the group stage. I, I, that was the first world cup in a while where I wasn't there until the very end, but, um, but yeah, it was tough. It was, um, it, it was not easy. So I, personally speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'll be able to focus on the U S and Qatar and um, yeah, yeah. We'll see how they do. And it's such a compelling story, and you've, uh, I mean, you've been covering U.S. men's national teams and s the sport in this country for a long time. What has it been like for you? And we, we, I know the voices, and I, I reach out to all the guys, you know, Grant Wall and Doug McIntyre, and everyone that's there that uh, has uh, great relationships with the U.S. men's national team. How have you seen that grow? Where um, and, and the importance of having you guys where we can get this information out to the masses and, you know, just in, 
to be involved in this? Where was a where was I'm triple I'm triple loading questions here, Jeff. But being <laughs> being able to pursue this uh, because of your love for the sport. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a pretty fascinating evolution. I mean, when I you know the first World Cup I went to in 2006, that was that was the Germany World Cup, and um, for me personally, that was pre-social media. Um, I think Twitter might have been around by then. I, I, can't, I don't <laughs> quite remember the birth date of Twitter, but um, you know, it's certainly, yeah, it's it's changed a ton. I mean, I thought it was you know a never-ending news cycle then, um, but but now it, it it feels like you're on call all the time, and so uh, you know, when something like happens in MLS over the weekend, you know, uh, you know, for example, you know the the very distasteful incident in the in the Miami DC United game last night, you know, you've got to, you've got to jump on. Yep. And, um, so it's, it's, you know, the, the treadmill seems to be going ever faster. <laughs> and um, especially, I think it was tough too, you know, with this world cup qualifying cycle, just the triple fixture windows. I mean, you can't, you know, I wasn't in a position to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go to all three games in a given window. Unfortunately, you know, we brought a guy on board and Kyle Bonagura who, writes about college football for ESPN, but has also done done his bit of, or his share of soccer coverage. So we were able to kind of divide and conquer a little bit, but that, but that was, even if I wasn't in every game, there was a, a relentlessness about that. And so, um, and also, and I think the important thing for this World Cup is that with every tournament that I've attended, you know, on the men's side, on the women's side, the World Cup always gives the game a shot of adrenaline, and and you know it's it's almost like just a a shot of growth, a shot of interest, and I think that's very important for the for the growth of the game, for future investment, you know, creating creating more fans of the game, and so and that you know that was the real I don't want to say tragedy because I you know <laughs> I don't want to overstate it, but that was the real gut punch um of 2018 where you weren't going to get that growth you weren't going to get that surge in interest and so um it's good you know obviously <laughs> the women have done their bit and you know continue to do so every you know with every world cup that they participate in and um but it every little bit helps every every little nudge forward yeah. whether it's on the men's side the women's side it, it all benefits the game i think and so um you know i think the the sport will see another surge in interest this time around. It's hugely important. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about the women's game uh, uh, at another time, which I'm excited about because of what's happening outside of the U.S. with other countries really rising to challenge uh, a runaway train as it has been over the last two World Cups. It feels like it's closing, and I know a lot of U.S. fans would be, oh, wait a minute, you know, they tune in to see the U.S. You know, just run riot over people. But it's great for the sport when other countries are competitive, and I think we're heading there. The U.S. men, on the on the other hand, and to that, you know, they always talk about you almost have to hit rock bottom for the sport to rise up and reach new heights or whatever it might be. Maybe on a personal level, you've got to kind of hit a bottom rung. Athletes do it all the time. Is this rock bottom so you can pick up? And a lot of times you see some incredible stories develop. But we've seen that with this U.S. team, mainly this young wave of players that are now excelling in Europe, Excelling in MLS, making people making players making better money at the sport, 
so we can maintain these kind of kids. It, it, it's happened. And I don't know if 2018 was a stimulus. It just ha- it, it occurred at the same time. And you talk about the bump that the World Cup will create in 2022. And this one's even more special because we have we're hosting it in four years. So one thing right. leads to another. And that could be that moment in time where we who work in the sport or follow the sport can see it uh, hit those levels that we know it's capable of doing it. But good World Cup showings can change that. If Say if the USA make a semifinal, it's a game changer, especially when they're hosting the World Cup. And I'm not saying they will, but maybe, who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe the stars align. And then we get the fans too. But I have noticed one thing in, from 2018 to use that as that stimulus. You know, people got angry and they use that as a chance to really challenge US soccer. And I've seen a lot of young folks on social media and I have conversations on the streets that I didn't have before where they're asking about these players and demanding answers to some shortcomings as well. And a lot of it's misguided and a lot of it has doesn't have a lot of oomph behind some of these takes and you got to take the good with the bad. But do you sense that as well where you you maybe see like the angry US fan or the or the more engaged U.S. fan, because of what happened in two, when you look from 2018 to 2026, does it feel a little different than how it may have been covered prior? Yeah, I think there's a greater level of intensity. Um, I think there's a greater level of passion about things that happen, be they be they good or bad. Um, you know, you saw it. I mean, just check out Twitter every time Greg Berhalter puts out a lineup or names a roster. Jordan Peefock was my number one trending topic on my Twitter yesterday. I was like, what, what happened? But that's how yeah. people approach this. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I think, I think that's healthy um, in general for the ecosystem. I, I think it, you know, it's healthy for people to ask questions and, and for coaches to explain themselves. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I think there is a line some that can potentially get crossed where, you know, every single person, you know, you know, Burhalter's personal motivations are 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 speculated upon. And, you know, listen, every coach has their guys. And every coach has the guys who are on the outside looking in. I mean, that 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 from the beginning of time for a year. Yeah. Every yeah, manager exactly. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, go back to 1990 when Bob Gansler left Hugo Perez off the team. I mean, these things happen. Um, But I mean, it's all, you know, greater engagement, greater interest, I think is, is, is in general a healthy thing. And so, uh, but but you're right. I think since 2018, there was a greater intensity, a greater skepticism, you know, a, a greater willingness to kind of challenge uh the status quo and in um it, it's louder everything seems to be louder now. <laughs> social and, media you know, baby <laughs> yeah yeah so uh you know and so so yeah i mean i think that's in general it, it's a good thing i mean that you see that in other sports you see that in, in the other major sports than in, in the united states and, and in canada and so um yeah it's i think the sport of soccer is is more and more um kind of being sucked into that kind of level of scrutiny and, and passion. Um, That's good, know, right? That's a good thing. That? That's a good yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And I think there's been some other ancillary things that have upped the temperature a little bit too, when you think about the equal pay stuff and you think about, um, 
you know, everything that the, that the women's players had to go through and, and their CBAs and, and the men's CBA and, and the kinds of issues that got raised. Um, I think that adds to it as well. Um, you know, people always ask me, well, what did you do during the pandemic? You must have been sitting around. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, I was covering MLS CBA issues and and things of that sort. And And really the league was only, you know, I use air quotes, shut down for, I think, you know, three or four months. So it wasn't that terribly long. Um, and then, then they had games to talk about again. But um, but yeah, so I think all these other kind of ancillary things add to it. And so um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a pretty intense growth and a pretty intense uh level of passion that we've seen from all all parts of the the soccer ecosystem in the last four years. Forget some of these things happened when you look at about that. And I look the MLS uh, CBA discussions. That was terrifying for someone. I work at MLS, and you, and I would always say if MLS had an extended work stoppage, it could be you know not fail, but really really bad for a league that is trying to get uh, a foothold in the uh, the national sports landscape, and still does. And now we have a new opportunity with Apple here, and certainly the a lot an influx of so much talented players but that was really scary and you know that make that's going to come up again and it's about it's about creating a pathway for these players and getting them uh getting the right money so that you want to pursue this so uh, I, it was and then obviously the equal pay thing was uh, consumed everybody because it's more than any other country these two national teams are connected because of obviously the status of the women's team, but obviously a, a very, uh, a trying time. To, and I'm glad it's over by and large, Jeff, yeah. but I, I've at least for that, but that it's a lot of that is gets, gets foggier, which is good because it was very difficult to, to plod through there during those two years. And not saying uh, COVID is over, but those two years where it was intense. Um, I want to circle back to what we were talking about in Greg Berhalter and uh, the vision. And, you know, he has his guys and, how he has how he has kind of stayed aligned with the vision he's had and we'll talk about this september roster and you know people were going okay there's gonna maybe there's gonna be huge changes in who he brings in uh which i knew it wasn't going to be the case i think when you're two months away i know when you're two months away from the world cup you've got to be close to your vest you got to bring the guys that brought you there hence a ricardo pepe and several others get brought back in there even though their form hasn't been at the level where uh, you would like for these national team players, but it, on the flip side, it would be odd to bring in a guy that you haven't really played, say a, a Brandon Vasquez or a Haji Wright, knowing that you've got to get ready. He's got to be ready not only to get a roster on November 9th, but he's got to be ready to throw out a starting 11 for that Wales game. When you look at the vision he's had, and I mean, I, I, I think we look back in this two-year cycle, there was a lot of... Uh, that generation that would have been at the uh, 2018 World Cup that didn't get that opportunity that started that cycle. And then we've seen this influx of talented young players where the U.S. team is, by all accounts, going to be the youngest team at the World Cup. And it could get younger when you see guys like uh, Joe Scally and several others introduced, uh, Johnny Cardoso getting in there, which was a, a bit surprising to me. But when you look at the passage of rosters that he selected and the players he's come, how consistent do you think that's been to his vision from the beginning? Well, I think there has been a bit of an evolution. 
um, just in terms of how he's he's gone about things. Um, you know, it seemed like he, you know, there was kind of this dogmatic, um, like possession at all costs, build out of the back at all costs, and you know, then that three nothing friendly defeat to Mexico happened, and you know, then they lost to Canada in the Nations League, and so, um, you know, I think gradually uh, there you saw a more pragmatic approach you know sure play it out of the back when it, when it's on you know if if you can do that try to do that but i just remember in the in the nations league in the return game against panama that kind of clinched their spot in, in the semis at times they were pragmatic sometimes they did dump it long and and so you know i, I think that was kind of an important change, like an important evolution of, you know, I keep going back to that word, but it, 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 it wasn't an important change, I think, to, to realize, okay, there's, there's a middle ground to be reached here. You don't have to like abandon your, your purest motives completely, but, you know, there are moments where <laughs> Eric Winaldic once called it situational awareness, which is kick it the heck out of here. And so I think there's a time for that too. And so I think, you know, and it, he also benefited, I think, from this generation of players. I mean, sure. these are these are guys who are not just on a big team kind of making up the numbers. These are our key players for big clubs. Um, and so I think he, he was kind of able to uh, evolve in that as well. And uh you know, make use of those talents, but also I think CONCACAF was kind of a rude awakening for a lot of those guys in terms of like what World Cup qualifying is about and how much of a street fight some of those games can become. I mean, this is different than anything I've ever really, you know, experienced. And so, so I think all of that, I mean, I do think through it all, Burhalter has been true to his vision. Um, but I think he he's he's tweaked it when when he's been faced with certain situations, you know the reality of of, of qualifying through Concacaf, and yeah, you know, it, it's it's very possible he could tweak it again um, because certainly <laughs> England is not going to sit back and bunker in. Um, I doubt Wales will either, and so you know it, it that may be a moment that they can pick their spots. To to be more expansive well when we talk about the uh the the group of young players that have emerged on coming to Dortmund and Chelsea and Juventus were you surprised I mean were you surprised at the the pace that it happened did did we did we miss seeing this coming and I know sometimes there's been peaks and valleys with what they've been able to do you have these incredible moments where Christian Pulisic's lifting a Champions League trophy where you know Weston McKinney is making these breakthroughs uh or Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson on those first couple of weeks with leads which has been interrupted because uh, the unfortunate uh, death of uh Queen Elizabeth II and we're not seeing these leads games but uh was did that I mean obviously it's surprising and it's a moment we've all shared where we puff our chest out as American soccer fans and go this is a moment in time but uh is it how surprising was it 
did you did you anticipate something like that where we would see these episodes of players and it, it's it's kind of constant you know Sergio Dest even though hasn't playing well going from Barcelona to Milan these are things that you know for so long we covered this we never thought would be possible for a a US player pool and it's not an isolated incident it's happening right. multiple times yeah well, I, I was surprised, um, I, I, although a lot of that was kind of situational. I mean, you know, Christian Pulisic going to Chelsea, I, I think that was one that we kind of, you know, or at least I anticipated happening. I, the, the real eye-opener for me was when Weston McKinney went to Juventus. It was just like, whoa, okay, um, you know, that's obviously he'd been at Schelke and you know, the team struggled and and then it's you know that and then not only that he goes to Juventus but that he's he's you know gets pretty consistent playing time I mean he's he's not just seeing the field in cup games he's he's seeing you know he's playing in league games on a fairly regular basis and so from there um yeah I mean that for me that was the real eye-opener because we'd seen players in the past you know, Miazga going to Chelsea or even further back, you know, Gucciannier would going to, to AC Milan. Um, you know, we, we'd seen players go to the fairly big clubs, but they, they weren't big pieces. So, um, so yeah, I mean, McKenney for me was, was an eye opener. I mean, and then, you know, you, after that, it, it, guys like Aronson and, and Tyler Adams and, and even Tim Weah, you know, doing what, what he's done, then it's kind of like, you kind of become more comfortable with that possibility. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, the, you got to expect it. <laughs> yeah. It's not as much of a shock to the system. And so, and then, you know, just to see that all these players do well. Um, and then even, and even ride the ups and downs of, of, of their club careers. I mean, to see Tyler Adams, you know, used at at Leipzig, then not so much. He moves to to Leeds in the Premier League, and you know he he's doing fantastically well. And so, you know, which is kind of another interesting conversation about how certain players fit into certain teams and, and in certain leagues. Um, it's been you know hand in glove, I think, for for Tyler Adams and and Brendan Aronson at Leeds. So, um. Yeah, so I mean, I think there. I, I always think back to to Weston McKenney and and him going to Juventus, and then, and then it just it was like a it's kind of like an avalanche. I mean, more and more guys going over there, um, you know, and then more and more guys finding success with with big clubs, important clubs. So um, yeah, it's we've all been waiting for it, and. Um, it happened quick after waiting for song. It happened kind of quick. I mean, even with Joe Scally, who's a guy we covered, and he was like, he'd come in for New York City FC, and then he goes to Munch and Gladbach, and then the coach loves him, and he plays every game. Uh, that's just uncharted waters, and now we get to enjoy that. This is an 18-year-old kid at the time doing that, and it's got to be exciting because if it works, and this is what's so important with Jesse Marsh too, if he leads to success, it leads, and – I would say fair. I'm not going to say there was a there was a grudge against American soccer, but they were waiting for the European clubs. The big clubs were waiting to see if it could be successful. Not many people wanted to dip their toe in first to hire a manager or put the faith in a player in a big spot. 
But if you have enough success, and it hasn't been success across the board, there's been some, there's been some shortcomings and there's been some that have fallen flat. But it, you'd have to think, let's say Jesse Marsh leads leads, finish 10th or 11th after having that relegation battle. And these players hit their spots, a few of them, enough. The ones that we mentioned, if Weston McKinney and Brendan Aronson, that would have to change. Or have you even seen like that market changing where these clubs are pivoting in many ways by necessity because they don't want to miss out on this burgeoning new marketplace to get that next great American player or coach um, and while all the time breaking down these barriers about a perception which I, which I think exists, but it's more about they just had to see if it worked for Americans. And now it's working. Do you see that that change happening here where, uh, where I know it is happening, but how much of a flip has it been where these clubs feel more safe, I should say, for lack of a better word, in instead of turning their eyes for maybe a young Brazilian player or a young European-based player, they feel safe. They can go to the United States, get into how this academies are working. We've seen it obviously with, you know, Red Bull or the city group with the MLS clubs as they look to connect to some of these young American players and academies. And it's, it's paid off for many of them, but where they will turn their focus to the United States and put resources in to find that, that player that they can help them become better. There's a little bit of that. Um, I mean, but I do think of guys like, uh Adams and Aronson I mean they're they kind of I mean granted Adams played for the Red Bulls Aronson played for Philadelphia but there still is that that Red Bull you know with Ernst Tanner there is that that Red Bull connection and so um I mean I think there is a little bit more faith uh in the American player I think there's a little bit more confidence in the U.S. system again purely in terms of players um, I don't quite see that with coaches yet. Mm. Um, and just in talking to people overseas, it's, you know, I, I remember, you know, talking to, to guys who were coaching in Europe and, you know, they, they still feel kind of the, the doubt creep in, you know, um, I'm, I'm forgetting a, a guy who I know was coaching in Sweden. Um, but I remember him saying, you know, if I was Swedish, I'd be, coaching in the top tier by now. And he was coaching, I think, in the second tier and um, or managing, I should say. And um, I, I'm sure I'm going to remember his name the moment I get off this call with you. But um, I'm glad this affects you too, Jeff, because this is my life story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's I, I think with players, I think the market has been established, not only just American players, but I think the, the, you're seeing the market, you're seeing more transfer activity um, happen, you know, out of outside of MLS. I mean, you, I, so I think there's just a little bit more confidence in that, you know, it, I mean, obviously data is huge these days and, and that plays a, a huge role in any kind of analysis and, and, and uh, in any kind of recruitment process. Um but I, I just think that the eye test is, is there's a little bit more confidence in the eye test, which I still think is, is part of it. So, but I, I'm still not, you know, I think with coaches, it, it's going to be a little bit tougher, you know, a tougher sell. I mean, again, 
Jesse Mars benefited from that uh, from that Red Bull connection. I mean, he, I mean, he, and he really paid his dues. I mean, he, yeah, sure did. You know, he was he was with the Red Bulls in, in MLS, and then he's an assistant in Leipzig, and then he goes to Salzburg, and he kind of, you know, he cuts his teeth there, and then, you know, he he goes back to Leipzig, which was just kind of a an odd situation all around i mean because i remember i mean i kind of joked that you know oliver mintzloff the owner he fired marsh because he did exactly what he asked him to do which was kind of return to the old red bull ways without really examining at that point what kind of team they had so um but the good news is that marsh got another chance and so you know it's it wasn't like he failed once and then you never heard from him again and so and I think avoiding the drop was huge. I mean, for him, for his reputation, I think for his, you know, street cred, for lack of a better word. And so, you know, now, you know, he's 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 in a more. I mean, obviously, it's always intense in the Premier League and always a lot of you know pressure to perform under. But you know, he, he seems like he's in a more secure spot. So, um, but yeah, so I, I I think the the growth for coaches is going to be a little slower than than it was for players well thank goodness for red bull i mean what they've been able to do for americans uh to make that path as you said no shortcuts they still have to prove themselves and the leipzig situation domenico tedesco the replacement for jesse marsh is now no longer with the club so um, i think that takes a little of the the heat off of jesse for uh, his tenure there but he has flipped it i think he's done he's obviously done great at leeds and you mentioned avoiding the drop but getting that opportunity, it still surprises me. I think about it, and I, I realize how much uh, what Leeds had to go through to come to that decision, knowing full well in the Ted Lasso era, which he faced full on, that hiring an American coach would raise a lot of eyebrows and obviously get a lot of uh, pushback from those in the media. It, it seems like the club at Leeds have uh, have a love affair with him. They liked him, and it's, it appeared to me pretty close from his arrival, which was even more surprising because of the love affair that club had with Marcelo Bielsa. It was a tough situation, but he's handled it well. And I'm just so glad it's there, Jeff. I am so glad it's there because we went through what happened with Bob Bradley and that as unfair as that was. And I was afraid this opportunity was still maybe 10 years away, if ever. And then it came here after losing a gig to do that. And we, we both know Jesse and obviously what, uh, this is important work. This is important mm -hmm. work that he's doing. Mm -hmm. Brian Clairhud. I'm sure I'm massacring. The oh, the Swedish guy? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's, the guy, he's the American who's coaching in Sweden with, um, oh God, it's Sundsvall, I think. Yeah. And so he's, he's, a, he's a coach there. But yeah, I remember he, I spoke to him for a story, actually kind of about this topic about, I think it was when Marsh was hired uh, with Leipzig. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been over in Sweden for a while now. I mean, he's still just 36 years old. So he's, he's gonna, he's got some time ahead of him. Putting the time in. They have yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the September camp. Uh, we've looked at it. Uh, not too surprising. Obviously, people wanted Jordan Peefock in. Heaven knows he earned it. But this is how it works. So many good players all over the world aren't going to the World Cup because they may not fit a system or they may not be one of the guys or maybe their timing was a little bit off. Uh, there are other... There are other players. I mean, it was, it was a long injury list of guys that weren't able to make it. You know, Yunus Musa, which is frustrating because you want to see him in this position to, as a dress rehearsal 
for the World Cup. Zach Steffen, uh, another one. Chris Richards. Uh, I mean, I think Richards and Moose are the ones that I was most disappointed not to see because, you know, Tim Way is not there, but we we certainly know what he can do. I think Anthony Robinson not being there is interesting because it may force Greg's hand to bring a, a, a pure left back in there. And that, to me, is one of the, the big stories because – this is a 26-man roster. I, I rattled off five guys that will probably be on the final 26-man roster, which means five of these guys that are here, if not more, are not going to go to the World Cup. So this is a big spot for them. They know it's an uphill climb, but they are, are certainly going to do their best to uh, do their best to see if they can slip in there. And they have an opportunity here with this camp and with these two games. But with Anthony Robinson, I, I really believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to go over a few of the topics I think are the most compelling here. But does Greg Berhalter, when he brings in Sam Vines and he brings in Joe Scally, Scally can play both positions, and but he can be a, a pure left back if, to cover Anthony Robinson. If Anthony Robinson starts, I guess the other, the other situation was you could bring in a Serginho Dest. Then you have this kind of weird domino effect, which I don't think coaches want, but if they feel comfortable with these players, they will go forward. But is this a position where one of these two guys, Vines or Scally, have the most to gain from this? Is this a spot where you think a, a, for a backup left back essentially can, over these two weeks, get into that November World Cup camp? They can. Um, I think in the case of both Vines and Scally, it's really about the work that they've been doing prior to that. I mean, you know, I mean, Scally has uh, obviously been playing with, with, with Gladbach and, you know, but, you know, Berhalter talked about Sam Vines, you know, having the form of his life with Antwerp, you know, in the, in the Belgian league. So um I don't think it's like going to be a huge shock, you know, where Burhalter's just like blown away. I mean, I think he's got a good feel for his player pool and, and, and who really has a, a shot to, to make some inroads. Um, but that is certainly is one of the kind of the more intriguing storylines, but I mean, health is going to dictate so much of this. Um, you know, I think it's, it's incredible to think that, Anthony Robinson was like, no one quite knew what to make of him at the beginning of qualifying. And now he's, he's this guy who's, <coughs> excuse me, scored some big goals. And, and, and essential and, almost. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's like one of the first guys on the team sheet and that's uh, been a problem position for so long. I mean, that's why, you know, desk was, was put over there at times. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the idea of putting Serginho desk at left back. Um, Again, like you said, it's it's kind of a domino effect. Um, I mean, the 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 best situation is Robinson on the left, Dest on the right, and then you know you kind of fill in around from there. I mean, another interesting one is Card is Johnny Cardoso. I mean, we'll see. You know what he's. Were you su were you surprised by that addition? Because I I was. I thought that I, it, I, it felt I a little bit off. Heads up that oh, it yeah. might happen, but. It only happens because Eunice Musa got injured. I mean, if Eunice Musa had been healthy, Cardoso would not be on the roster. But, um, you know, maybe, you know, he has been playing regularly in Brazil for Internacional. And so, uh, you know, maybe he's the guy that, that can make some inroads as well. 
Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously he's got some people to try to climb over. I mean, there's, there's McKenney and Adams and, and Luca Della Torre and, um, but I, I got to believe he'll, he'll get on the field at some point and Kellen Acosta. Um, and so, with Musa not there, there's an opportunity for all these guys to get some minutes because exactly. and someone's going to start for him. Question. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens with Brendan Aronson, where he ends up being deployed. Um, <laughs> That's a big you know, one too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's obviously they're going to have these next couple weeks together and, and that'll give Berhalter some more data points. Um, you know, and we'll see what happens with goalkeeper. Um, I mean, give me a name. <laughs> Who's Horvath is just got to got to be the hardest luck keeper in the pool because he hasn't really done anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, he he comes in in that Mexico game, saves a penalty. Um, you know, they end up winning the game, the, the Nations League final, and and then, but obviously his club situation wasn't the greatest, and so he ends up kind of falling down the, the pecking order. Um, but he wasn't the only one whose club situation was kind of not great. Um, you know, Zach Steffen obviously has, has had his issues. And although he, he was back in the field for, for, for Middlesbrough, um, you know, last weekend. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, Matt Turner is, is he's the backup at Arsenal. And, you know, he was at the press conference today, he was talking about how, Hey, you know, if you, if you go in to training with an attitude that, you know, of just trying to maximize every single session, you know, you can maintain a fair level of sharpness, but, you know, I think he's, he's got to kind of, and I think that's true to a degree, but I think he's, he's got to kind of convince himself of that. I mean, he, he kind of has no other choice. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, certainly it seemed to affect Stefan in some of the world cup qualifying games that he played, you know, there were, there were some mistakes and, you know, we saw that with Man City too in some of the games late last year. So it's, you know, we'll see how these guys train and we'll see how some of these guys perform in the games. And and obviously uh, that'll that'll factor into Berhalter's thinking. But I think, you know, you talked about left back. Um, and then, you know, the big, obviously the big one is forward. I mean, we'll see. Those are the three. Those are left back, yeah. forward, goalkeeper. Yeah, the rest of the team kind of picks itself. I mean, maybe you swap in some some other pieces without a huge letdown um you know i think you know, it's good to see ricardo pepe get a goal um but i think you also saw in that play kind of the drop in in defending quality in the air <laughs> Bundesliga. so you know it's um but it'll do wonders for his confidence i'm sure and just it'll be a huge anvil off his back and um but that's that's the other one too i mean and it's i'm disappointed that pfock didn't get brought in just because he's got kind of a bigger frame than the other guys and agree i think if you're trying to score an ugly goal you know a toe poke uh you know oh, it's coming just a brute force kind of goal you know, I, I think having PFOC in there is a good club to have in your back. And so, um, you know, maybe maybe it's Berhalter thinks that Sargent is, is the guy, you know, obviously I think Sargent's got a little bit bigger frame than, than Pepe and, and, and Ferrer as well. Um, maybe he thinks Sargent can fill that role, but I always just, you know, 
and PFOC's in incredible form. I mean, he's, you know, he's a big reason why Union Berlin are top of the Bundesliga. Can you believe you know? he just said that? Top of the yeah. ladder. And they're about two yeah. months into the season, and it's it's yeah. unbelievable. Obviously, Byron's in some bad frame. I feel bad. I feel bad for him. I think uh, um, it, it was obviously going to be him or Pepe because you're not going to bring another number nine because you're going to bring, I imagine, maybe three guys like that, and I think you're seeing them. Uh, but it wouldn't be that. But let me, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but just you can agree or disagree with what I say with the goalkeeping and the number nine. With Matt Turner, he had, Horvath and Sean Johnson haven't had the minutes he's had. Matt Turner, to me, would appear to be the guy who would start game one at the World Cup. Would it make sense to, because he's not playing a lot of games, would it make sense to start him in both Japan and Saudi Arabia game, knowing that this is a chance to really get him into the veins of this national team where he can kind of take charge because Zach Steffen would be the other option. He played over the weekend, which is great news, but he's not here with this group. So I'll ask you that, but I'll also ask, because we brought up the striker. Uh, I, I would think Jesus Ferreira is your opening number nine for Wales, but Josh Sargent, who does get into this squad because of form where it didn't work out for people. Jordan's Josh Sargent was not getting called up. The one thing that was missing was goals. And now he's scoring in bushels that he could, he could be the starting nine as this tournament grows, depending on Fededa, because uh, he fits the system well. So Turner and Sargent, how do you see those two guys? You know, I, I split time. I mean, yep. you know, I, I don't like doing the, the one half, one guy in one half and another guy in another half. I mean, give Turner the, the Japan game and give Horvath, you know, the, uh, the Saudi Arabia game. I mean, I, I just think you're trying to maximize your odds. You're, you're trying to maximize form and familiarity with, with guys on the team and with the system. And so, um, I think that's the approach that you take in this window. Um, I would not be surprised to see Zach step and start the first game against Wales yeah. because I mean, it, it seemed like whenever Burhalter was forced into a decision, like everything being equal, um, you know, playing time form, or even if it wasn't equal, it just seemed like he always gravitated towards Stefan. And obviously they have a history, you know, they've, they've worked together in Columbus. And so, you know, I think, I don't know, that's just kind of what I think is going to happen. Um, I agree that Ferreira will probably start um, the, the first game. Um, you know, I think, if it were me, I, I, I would give I would give it to Sergeant. Um, the start in the first game. Hoping, that's why I'm yeah. That's why I'm hoping that you know he gets a lot of minutes. I mean, because he's been out of the frame for a while. Um, and I want to say it's the first time he was called in since like the first World Cup qualifying window. If I'm not mistaken, um, I could easily be wrong. Uh, but I just you know having Sergeant be be out of the reckoning for so long. I just I think it's important to kind of get him some minutes and, and see, you know, what he can do. And then, I mean, I think there's enough recent, there are enough recent data points on Ferreira to kind of know what, what he can do as well. I mean, I'm not saying don't play Ferreira at all. I mean, but I just think, yeah, 
I think Berhalter needs to spread the wealth a little bit. Well, I think with Josh Sargent's uh, a really revival, that this is some of the best news the U.S. could have because now you have a couple guys, and you see with Ricardo Pepe, you can't you can't just diminish what he did although it was a long, long time ago now, over a year ago. But to have those options is a good position for Greg Berhalter to be in. And, Jeff, we've talked about everyone. We never, we barely talked about Christian Pulisic or Weston McKinney or Brendan Aronson. I mean, the major food groups of this national team, because, I mean, the, I, I, I think these were the stories that, that stood out because these are important positions. Mm-hmm. Starting goalkeeper, mm-hmm. starting number nine, a backup left back who would eventually in a tournament, if there's one guy in front of you, you're going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, we usually don't talk about players 20 to 26 because those guys probably will not play at a World Cup. But these are the compelling stories. Uh, but we, I'd love to talk about the top guys. I, I mean, maybe one word here on Christian Pulisic because, you know, his uh, his season's not gone well. Uh, going through a coaching change, new owners there at Chelsea. He uh, the frustration is obviously etched. he's a very private person. We don't hear it. He's not outwardly coming out saying, I want to get out of this club. And it would appear that he's staying with this club. But how, how does that affect? How do you think that's going to affect his World Cup? He should be the he should be the, the bell cow for this U.S. team as he's been these last two years. But as the World Cup's getting closer, I feel like some people might be looking to other guys to be the man, whoever that is. and. I hope it's still Christian Pulisic because we've he's kind of gotten us here. But uh, does the club form worry you? It does, but I think you can look at it a couple different ways. I mean, you know, he's not going to be super banged up, um, hopefully, knock on wood, um, heading into the tournament. And he, who knows? I mean, different players use different things for motivation. And so, you know, if he thinks that maybe – he doesn't have much of a future with Chelsea, um, then he's going to be super motivated to show the rest of the world, hey, I'm available, I'm playing at this level, I'm performing well, come get me. And, you know, maybe something happens in the in the January window that, you know, can see him move. But um, it, it's, it's tough because it still remains to be seen, you know, what Graham Potter is going to do, you know, how he's going to use uh, Polistic. Um I mean, with all of those guys, it's like put him in bubble wrap. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's that impulse to like, you know, don't don't, don't get injured. Um, and you know, obviously, McKenney had the the shoulder issue, you know, some weeks back. Uh, you know, obviously, he's he's a quick healer. I will say that about him. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we want, you know, you know, if you're if you're a fan, you want to to see these guys playing all the time, but you also want them healthy. And that that was something that it's easy to forget how much in qualifying Burhalter had to deal with injuries. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have Pulisic for a stretch. He didn't have McKinney for a stretch. He didn't, you know, Gio um, Reyna. Yeah. I mean, he's like the wild card, I think, of all this because, you know, he's, he's another guy that I definitely want to see get minutes. And, you know, with Tim Weah not available, I think the odds of that are good. But I mean, you also, you know, he's coming off of a season last year where he could never just get over the hump physically. And so, you know, they're going to have to, I'm, I'm sure Berhalter is talking to the folks at Dortmund about what's the right balance in terms of getting him on the field, but not overloading him. And so, um, you know, th- this could be, this could be a breakout tournament for Gio Reyna. Um, But, you know, he's another one where, 
it's not so much did he score or not, you know, or how well he played this week. It's like, did he is, get through the game? Is he okay? Yeah. Is he all right? And so, you know, that's, but I mean, that's, that's true for a lot of players on this team. And, and Jeff, it would be naive to think after all that's happened in this cycle that the World Cup will roll around and the U.S. has a clean bill of health because they haven't come close to that. And in this camp, yeah. it's the same thing. Key yeah. players out. So I think we all have to brace ourselves for that because this is a yeah. team that has a health issue collectively. And I don't know. Every I, team does that. I, I, I remember I, my first World Cup in 2006. I remember watching a friendly that France was playing and Jabril Cisse broke his leg. And it was just like, oh, my God. You know, and then, yeah, it was obviously France made it to the final, but um, yeah, it's just you know you're you're bracing yourself against those kind of horrific, or even not so horrific ailments that will keep somebody out of a tournament. So. Well, not a knock on wood. Well, all the good energy to the squad, and uh, and I hold my breath with Gio Reyna because he's had you know setbacks, but hopefully he can hit the tape here because I'm with you on seeing this a a lot to unpack here jeff and i'm glad you're here to help us unpack some of these things and we'll we'll see if we do some more packing unpacking you have a you have a great time in qatar and uh follow jeff carlisle on all social media as you will see it from the source and you know some news are going to break and jeff will be all over it appreciate the time my friend all right max anytime all right sounds good that's the business and we'll be back with a a brief stoppage time to put a close to soccer og right after this Time now for stoppage time here on the Soccer OG. We'll be relatively brief. Just wanted to follow up on this September camp, which is, uh, again, going to be important. We have to wonder about how much change from any plan Greg Berhalter had is going to occur. And, you know, based on the conversation with Jeff, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot. It seems like the decisions are made. And I, I was really taken back by the answer to the question about the goalkeeping and how Zach Steffen still could be the number one, which uh, doesn't just wash you over with comfort. Hasn't been a good few months for Zach Steffen. And a lot of people, you know, showing the old era where we had Casey Keller and Brad Friedel and Tim Howard, and now we have this situation where it's, uh, it's not where it needs to be. So while the United States have made huge inroads in developing fullbacks and creative players and wingers, goalkeepers has digressed. Maybe it's not cool to be a goalkeeper, you know. Maybe the girls don't go crazy for the goalkeepers like they once did. <laughs> I will say this. We had a couple bad weeks for a men's national team players, but we had a nice one this week, in particular in the Bundesliga. Jordan Pifak scores a game-winning goal to put Union Berlin on the top of the ladder. And Bayern Munich really laboring, which is great to see. Because it's, it's killed the enjoyment of the Bundesliga for me. This is important. Gio Reyna came in and played a really... He came in as a sub. Marco Royce, with Marco Royce out, there might be some more playing time for Gio Reyna on the horizon. And then he got subbed out late. But he was, uh, he was magnificent. Really, really good. Joe Scali, another 90 minutes for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Even Kevin Paredes got some minutes. So, across the board... A good step up. You know, Christian, uh, well, we don't talk about Christian. Weston McKinney had a nice game uh, for a really struggling Juventus team. We talked about the injuries, and there were several. I did want to talk about Tim Ream. 
who uh, I thought should have gotten on this team because of his ability to play left back. Maybe he's a little slow. I, because, uh, coincidentally, the injury to Anthony Robinson, Reem, who is the Fulham captain, moved to left back to cover for him. I thought he did a pretty good job. I saw some people on Twitter saying he did it. I, I watched that game. I vehemently disagree. I thought in a tough spot, he went in there and did a nice, nice job. Shows the flexibility. He has been the best. Eunice Moose has been the breakthrough player. And now with this injury, I hope it doesn't derail that. But Tim Reams has been the best story. As Fulham, I think, were they in sixth place? Getting great results week in, week out. Relegation seems so far flung from where they are. I just can't see Fulham by the time, whenever the season, when does the season end? It's like kind of into June, right? Whenever that is, I just can't see Fulham in any kind of peril. Tim Ream's a big, a big part of that. And I love how they trust him. And I love how he... You know what I really love about him if you watch these games? Fulham players are going crazy celebrating. He is so muted on the celebrations. He's like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. We, we kind of... There's a little Jay demerit to that. You know, Jay demerit wasn't this ballyhooed player. He gets over to Europe and becomes a pretty legendary figure at Watford. And now Tim Ream, although this is something else in a more modern Premier League, it's been fantastic. It doesn't get that's not doesn't get him in. And as Jeff kind of touched on, and we've talked about with others, that you know, Greg Berhalter made it pretty clear about the status of Tim Ream, the same way he did at John Brooks. John Brooks actually got off the bench against Benfica, but I just don't know. I mean, but he's starting behind an 18-year-old center back, and if he didn't get in there. If he doesn't get in there in the next couple weeks, this is the John Brooks season we're going to have. Yeah, he's going to be possibly getting some minutes for the Champions League. But uh, Otamendina Silva is the other guy. There's still time if he's a third center back. But it took a few games to get some playing time. But he finally got it. And now we have this group here. And we talked about the big jobs and the competitions to look out for. But by and large, I love the images of these players arriving together in Germany. And it was like, you know, old friends, relatives see each other after so long apart. And they're excited. And you get the feeling now after the grunt and gruel of World Cup qualifying that these guys have it in front of them. And most of those 26 guys that are there, there's about 20 of them that know they're going to the World Cup. There's a few that still have to iron out their spot. Uh, 26, it used to be it's usually 23. So this is a very selective process. A lot of people will be the last guy cut. And a lot of folks will never play in a World Cup or even make a roster. It's the nature of the beast. And I, I've always admired how players have dealt with that. Because this is just I mean, the pinnacle. This is the greatest sporting event. Maybe the best event in day-to-day life it, on this planet. And to be so close to make it and still ha- handle it with grace and not just crawl in a hole and die. You know, oh, I can't. They don't. And I've talked to so many players about it. And they've all told me about how it, they got the news. And it breaks your heart, but they pick up and they get on with it. Uh, and I just think there's a uh, there's a lot of dignity in that, and there's a lot of wisdom, you know, a lot of wisdom in what they are able to handle that. So, hats off to the players; they're all going to get a lot of bad news. Enjoy the international break. A lot of te- teams to keep an eye on. I, I have an eye on Uruguay. I want to see if I want to see what happens with Luis Suarez. That move to Nacional was not a great idea. That if maybe it opens the door for some others. I want to see Gareth Bale in Wales. Hasn't been lighting it up with LAFC. Maybe there's a he he pivots into a new Gareth Bale. If he doesn't, maybe we say that he's not 100%. Uh, 
I don't. I, I, when I see him, he just doesn't look like all the cylinders are clicking, health-wise. So uh, we'll get a lot of answers. It's going to be fun. So enjoy it, and we'll get back to the club game, and then we can really get into the final stretch towards the World Cup. It's going to be madness. Enjoy the ride. Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. There's a new video about this U.S. men's national team out on there. Till we talk about all of this next time. Placido Domingo.